rates at 83%. The news and weather, THK. Good morning, this is Back Chat, and I'm Andrew Work. And I'm Ada Wong. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about the elections in Indonesia. Over 200 million Indonesians were called to the ballots to pick their new leaders in Wednesday's presidential, national, and provincial elections. Early polls showed that Defense Minister Prabowo Subianto is, was ahead of his rivals, uh, former governors uh, Agnes Baswedan and Ganjar Panawo. Um, the winner will succeed incumbent President Joko Widodo, who has been in office for two five-year terms, the maximum allowed under the country's constitution. We're going to find out what it means for Indonesia, the region, and the world. And after 9.45 a.m., we will speak to the designer and curators of Chubby Hearts Hong Kong. That includes the one and only Anya Heinmarsh, leading global fashion designer, author, and now artist. Fashionistas and politicos, get ready to dial in with your questions at 233-88266 to join the conversation. You can also WhatsApp us on 6899-8518. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at backchat at rthk.hk. But we're kicking off talking about Indonesia today. Uh, we welcome to the show Brian Wong, who's the Assistant Professor of Political Philosophy at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Professor Wong. Good morning. And we also have with us Eugene Tan, who is a Political Analyst and Associate Professor of Law at the Yong Pao Hao School of Law at the Singapore Management University. Good morning, Professor Tan. Good morning. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, Professor Tan, you're a little bit closer to the action down there. So, uh, I mean, the polls are coming in and it looks like uh, Prabowo Subianto uh, is uh, it looks like he's ahead of the rivals uh, with, a, with a fairly solid lead in exit polls. He's he has claimed victory. What does this mean for Indonesia? Well, it's, uh, in a way, a very significant uh, achievement for uh, Indonesian democracy. Um, you know, I mean, there, there have been occasional setbacks, and, and this election, you know, was itself, um, you know, there were issues regarding the involvement of the incumbent president. You know, but I think in terms of, uh, you know, this uh, victory, uh, you know, I think the momentum seems to be with uh, Prabowo. Uh, I think it's, it, it enables you know, that continuity uh, in both domestic and foreign policy uh, where Indonesia is concerned. Continue the policy of, uh, you know, President Jokowi. Uh, and so I think, you know, we will see Indonesia playing, you know, a more assertive role uh, within regional and global politics, you know, but significantly, I think domestically, uh, I think the, the push, you know, towards uh, economic modernization uh, will continue uh, with renewed vigor. So a continuity in a policy sense, and we'll probably get more into that, we probably should uh, fill in some of the blanks for our listeners who might not be up to speed. I mean, there's continuity in a family sense, too. I mean, uh, hasn't, hasn't the, uh, the current president who will be stepping down, hasn't he kind of fill, <laughs> filled in the blanks with a lot of his family to, to uh, ensure continuity? Maybe, maybe we should you know, set the scene a little bit uh, for some of our listeners. <laughs> Yes, so so um, Prabowo's running mate, uh, you know, is uh, Jokowi's uh, eldest son, uh, Gibran, um, and and of course there was that fair bit of controversy, you know, over his uh, being uh, eligible to run because the Indonesian constitution requires uh, presidential and vice presidential candidates, you know, to be uh, at least forty years of age, um, you know, but the constitutional court, uh, which 
you know, also comprised of, uh, you know, uh, Jokowi's uh, brother-in-law, um, ruled that, um, you know, Gibran could run on the basis that, you know, he was holding a mayoral post. I mean, he is the mayor or he was the mayor of Solo. Um, you know, I mean, given, for which, yeah. uh, again, you know, there, there, there was a continuity because, uh, you know, President Jokowi was first a governor or a mayor of, of Solo as, as well. Mm. Um, so, but, but I think, you know, if, if we look in terms of dynastic politics in Indonesia, that's something which seems to be fairly acceptable. Um, you know, of course, this position could change, you know, but I think uh, there is a sense that, you know, um, uh, there is this continuity which... which Indonesians, by and large, don't seem to mind, um, you know, and, and given that President Jokowi was, is a very popular president, uh, you know, 70% ratings, you know, even coming to the end of two terms, uh, you know, is something that I think has uh, also provided that momentum, you know, to the Prabowo-Gibran uh, 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 ticket. And, and what about Prabowo himself? Um, for example, he's the former son-in-law of Suharto. Um, Yes. And um, and he has actually, um, you know, well, he has been accused of committing atrocities during his decades in the army. Uh, Eugene Tan, could you tell us more? Yes, so so certainly. I mean, here, you know, we we, we had Prabowo, you know, who who was the son-in-law of uh, uh, President uh, Sohato, um, you know, the, the the leader of the Indonesia's New Order, you know, un- until he was deposed in in nineteen. Uh, Ninety-eight, um, and and Prabowo is a controversial uh, figure, um, you know, particularly in in international circles uh, to the extent uh, where there might there are concerns about his uh, commitment to democracy and human rights. You know, as, as you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, he, he was the commander of the elite forces uh, of Indonesia, Kompasus, uh, and and has been fingered, um, you know, in in human rights uh, violations, uh, you know, while Indonesia was in control of uh, what was then known as East Timor. Um, But but I think, you know, over the years, um, you know, given that he he had to go into self-exile, you know, partly because of the the human rights violations and all, um, I I think he has sort of rehabilitated uh, his image. um, and, And I think, you know, if Indonesia wants to play a bigger role, you know, on the regional and global stage. I think, you know, they will have to, uh, they will have to project, um, you know, that commitment, you know, to universal values such as democracy and, and, and human rights. Um, and and I think, you know, all eyes will be very much, uh, you know, on, on Prabowo, you know, as to whether, you know, he can shake off, uh, you know, his former image as as a tough, uh, you know, military man. Uh, but I think, you know, where Indonesian voters are concerned, you know, um, his past, uh, his checkered past, you know, doesn't seem to have uh, prevented him uh, from this, what appears to be, you know, the makings of a famous victory. Right. Because, I mean, not just a tough military man. He was accused of uh, torture. He was dishonorably discharged from the military. I mean, that seems like the voters don't, ma- don't seem to have a problem with it. Is it your take that he is genuinely reformed? I mean, are we going to get? Are we? Am I going to get locked up next time I go to Jakarta or Bali because <laughs> because we were talking about it on radio? Or or is is there a sense that among people who do know the record, do they think there has been a genuine change of heart? I think it remains to be seen, you know. But but I think you know it's been thirty years since then, uh, roughly about thirty years, you know. And 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 I think times have changed. 
and I think Prabowo now, you know, in the position, you know, as the leader of a rising middle power, uh, will know that, you know, what he does and, and the sort of values that he espouses, uh, you know, will be critical uh, if Indonesia wants to play a much bigger role uh, in regional and, and international affairs. Um, I, I think, you know, he certainly would want to continue the footsteps of, uh, you know, President Jokowi, um, you know, it, whether it, that relates to the G20, um, you know, or ASEAN. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I think if we look at Indonesia's trajectory, you know, they too have been uh, putting a lot of uh, effort into the promotion of human rights. Um, you know, it, it's not always a plain sailing journey. Um, but I think, you know, that's something which, uh, you know, they, they do recognize that if they want uh, to be looked up to, if they want to have that soft power, you know, the ability to influence uh, friends and foe alike, um, you know, that it becomes important for them uh, to be able to to be a role model, uh, you know, for other countries. And I think for, you know, the largest Muslim democracy in the world, I think, you know, the, the ability to 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 have that commitment to democracy, the rule of law, and the protection of human rights, uh, I think that is something that, uh, you know, people will be watching Indonesia very, very closely. And, and I think Indonesians will increasingly also have that, that, that expectation and, and perhaps even demand, uh, you know, on their leaders. Brian Wong, longer lens, looking around the region, what's your take? Yeah, so I would say um, there the are two key points that are worth noting, really. The first is that continuity in Indonesia's foreign policy is to be expected in relation to both contentious issues, including South China Seas, Indonesia's relations with its neighbours in the region, but also, more internationally speaking, you know, I suppose over the war in Ukraine and the Sino-American intrigue and rivalry, I do not foresee major pivots or departures from President Jokowi's existing line, although it's worth noting that Prabowo himself has sought to articulate you know, his version of the peace plan and proposal in relation to Ukraine, which was met with uh, mixed feedback at the Shangri-La Dialogue. And what this perhaps portends is that whilst there would be a general continuity on international affairs, uh, Indonesia under Prabowo would be seeking a more active peacemaking and also internationally projected role over the coming years. Uh, over international conflicts that might not have much to do immediately with domestic interests. And that, again, harks back to sort of the broader plan uh, started and initiated by Jokowi and to be continued by Jokowi's associates and also Prabowo now, his former rival, in turning Indonesia from a middle power into a leading power within Asia in economic might and strategic influence with global projection capacities when it comes to, you know, rhetoric, discourse shaping, and also uh, the crafting or articulation of a different discourse uh, from both China and the U.S. when it comes to governance. So where I would slightly disagree with the previous speakers, I think beyond democracy and human rights as important and integral elements of a governance model, uh, the next five years, next ten years or so in Indonesian politics, whether it be from Prabowo or either Ganja or Anis or any of the rival factions within the country, there's going to be more thinking and conceptualization as to how to explain the unique story that is Indonesia, as well as more grappling with the role that Indonesia can play as indeed the largest Muslim populated democracy in the world. And secondly, just very quickly, you know, whilst many have touted or suggested that Prabowo is seen as favoring closer ties with China, 
It's also worth noting that America retains yet a significant military and also security presence in the region. And I don't see any reason for Indonesia to forego existing collaboration and ties with the U.S., especially when you look at the, con the contentions over the North Natuna Sea and also other parts of, of course, maritime borders uh, over which Indonesia is locked in rather bitter disputes with uh, other parties in the South China Sea region, including, of course, China. So balancing as opposed to pivoting is going to be the primary tune and also undertone of the upcoming uh, decade or so of Indonesian foreign policy, at the very least under Prabowo. Um, uh, Brian, um, good, good morning. Uh, you, morning you, you mentioned the uh, Shangri-La uh, dialogue in Singapore, and that, that was a, a security conference. And then Prabowo made that very odd speech, and which contradicted the official policy of Indonesia. And, and, but, but it was applauded by China. How, how, how do you make of that? Why would he choose that moment to make that speech? So I would say two things. The first is that it was clearly an attempt on his part to test the waters, right? To test the waters to see what the international reception back then towards his engaging in, you know, talk of grand strategy or diplomacy or international peacemaking would be, but also to test the waters when it comes to the reception from the U.S. and also China. And quite evidently so, you know, the campaign hasn't really pursued or gone back to that very proposal, right? And, and hasn't really floated it over the past six to, to nine months or so on a campaign trail. And this is a deliberate choice on his part, which is that he recognized the opprobrium he received over that particular peace plan. He also recognized the need to readjust and adapt um, to, to balance and also to reflect the concerns of the West, but also to maintain the line that he'd wanted to, to adopt. And that was why after a series of complex calculations, I suppose, the campaigns dropped the idea of pursuing that version of peace over Ukraine. But with that said, you know, the second element that remains relevant to this very day is I suppose Favreau is a pragmatist, and he firmly believes that when it comes to international relations, realism as opposed to value-based talk and value-driven diplomacy in that sense, only realism really it could secure the interests of middle powers and smaller powers. Now, we might disagree with it, and I have personal reasons to find sort of realism, not necessarily the most reflective school of thought in international relations, but from his perspective, whether it be in determining or in appraising the, the boundaries, the borders, and also the resolution to ongoing conflicts, what's needed across all of these instances of tricky decision-making uh, processes in international relations is realism and also an ability to grapple with what's feasible and what's not. And that's obviously debatable, what's feasible, what's not, what's ideal, what's not ideal. But from his and his team's perspective, I suppose that's really the, the modus operandi. Uh, Eugene, what's your, what's your take on that? I mean, and, and in particular, the balance between real politic and, and, and a values-driven politics out of Indonesia, what, what should we expect? Well, I, I, I think in the end, you know, um, there will obviously be real politic uh, at play. Um, but I think, you know, if Indonesia would want to be able to influence, um, you know, matters in their neighborhood, but also, you know, manage the different, uh, you know, great power, manage the great power rivalry in, 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 in East Asia, um, you know, they too will have to uh, have their own set of values and principles. Um, and, and so I think here, you know, you, you, we will see a president, uh, you know, 
if I could put it this way, you know, who is very much his own foreign policy and, and defense uh, advisor. Um, and, and I think we can expect, um, you know, that, that there will be uh, controversial, uh, controversial remarks. Um, but I think, you know, it, it doesn't take us away, uh, you know, from the, the commitment, I think, you know, to what in Indonesia they would describe as Bebas active, right? You know, the idea of an independent uh, and foreign policy, uh, uh, foreign policy uh, approach. Um, and, and I think, you know, they will remain very much, you know, focused on, on uh, what they might describe as a non-aligned approach. I, I think, you know, they certainly don't want to get sucked into the orbit of either uh, China or America. You know, I think for them, it is a uh, uh, you know, that sense of independence, um, you know, that they are a rising middle power, and so, you know, they, they don't really have to do the bidding. But but there is also that, that innate recognition, you know, of the importance of both uh, China uh, and, 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 and the United States. Uh, and, of course, you know, the, the, the conflict, or rather the territorial conflict, uh, you know, in, in the South China Sea uh, is something in which Indonesia is an active player, you know, that puts them... Uh, you know, head to head with China, uh, you know, and so there will be all these competing and, and conflicting forces, you know, that will pull uh, on on Indonesia as well as its foreign policy uh, establishment. Uh, and I think it, again, you know, um, much as you know, we can expect that continuity, but I think we can also expect change uh, in in the way uh, how you know President the President to be, you know, Prabowo might want to conduct uh, his foreign policy. I mean, should we be expecting more continuity then from the previous one, or have these guys made specific uh, policy? Have they have they set out a specific policy direction vis-a-vis how they want to handle the China question specifically? Because like everybody else in the region, they've got territorial issues with China. I mean, have these guys given us a clear direction well, that this is how we propose handling China, or have they just kind of glossed over it and maybe we'll get what we had before? I think it's it's it's. There's nothing specific, right? So other than, you know, in, in the manifesto, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, Prabowo and Gibran put to the voters, you know, of wanting to transform, uh, you know, Indonesia, uh, you know, to a, to a mature uh, economy by 2045 when, when Indonesia celebrates the centennial as an independent state. Uh, they've also spoken of, you know, tr- strengthening uh, Indonesia's defense and security uh, and to maintain conducive international uh, re- relationships, you know. So it's it's pretty much, you know, non-committal, um, you know. So, but I, I would say, you know, we, we can expect continuity uh, as well as change, you know. But I think in in the immediate one, next one to two years, uh, I, I would expect more continuity uh, rather than change, you know, unless, you know, the international and regional geopolitics, you know, demand, you know, a more muscular approach, uh, from uh, what would be Indonesia's uh, new uh, leaders. Right. Um, Brian, the Indonesian elections are sometimes decided uh, on personality and probably not that much policy. And I noted that um, Prabowo changed his image and revamped his, uh, his own image by posting short videos on TikTok. And, um, and that, that was this uh, video that the former general was dancing goofily, and and the younger voters seemed to have liked it. What what do you make of that? 
So I most certainly think that Prabowo's learnt from the past two elections or the previous elections where he suffered uh, defeat and has come to realise that it's high time to broaden his base and to revamp his image from being purely a defence-oriented military strongman and a continuation of the, the sort of Indonesia of yore in the 80s and 90s to shift away from that narrative and to really double down on broadening his outreach amongst the younger demographics. That, to me, is a key strategic pivot that was instrumental in, in behind not just how he campaigned, but also selection of a running mate. Obviously, you know, the fact that his running mate was Drew Hoey's helped, but it was also the age that was uh, something that was sought after, right, it, to, to counterbalance or to offset allegations that Rabot's ticket was an old man's ticket, which is not the case. In terms of the image, in terms of positioning, there was an active effort to rebrand himself. And, and moreover, in employing social media to engage voters who might not remember or recall the sort of rather turbulent days of Indonesia's democratization, especially in the 1990s, this was a deliberate choice that enabled Prabowo to project a new and relatively untarnished image when I could speak to the interests, speak to the preferences, and also, of course, the cultural and subcultural trends amongst the youth in especially urban areas in Indonesia. And, and therefore, I would say this has been a rather successful move on the part of his campaign, for sure. And it also goes to show that there's a, a depth and breadth of talent of advisors and also campaign <clears throat> strategists around Prabowo. So, so you're talking about the depth, I mean, but let's talk about this. It wasn't just the presidential elections. Uh, we also had national and provincial level elections. Who, I mean, what, what are we looking at on that? And what does that mean for the overall governance of the country? Are we going to have different branches of government in conflict with each other? Or, I mean, do we have early enough, do we have indications from exit polls to have a suggestion about what's going to happen on that front? I mean, do we know who's going to be winning other national level and provincial level seats? Yeah, so that's a, a very good question. Um, essentially, if we look at the current results that are coming in right now, you know, it, as it stands, obviously the, the com complication here is that whilst PDIP is normally, you know, the, the party that's in power, but that, that's not uh, the Prabowo's party, which is Garindra. And if you look at the seat distribution as it stands, you know, Garindra does not appear to be trending towards a majority. And therefore, there's likely to be, you know, at least nominally speaking, uh, non-Prabowo-aligned parties in a legislature that would occupy a plurality of seats. But the issue with Indonesian parliamentary politics that's worth bearing in mind is that there's constant realignment and reshuffling and reorientation in terms of loyalties. One election, you might have a candidate that's backed by three to four parties that then decide to sort of switch and, you know, support, even have internal risk within the same party over presidential candidates in the next. And therefore, the correspondence or the correlation between the party membership of the leader and the extent of support he or she receives in legislature uh, is, is controversial, to say the least. It's, it's a tenuous link that is not necessarily guaranteed. So the link between the executive and the legislative needs to be unpacked more carefully. And to answer your question in short, Andrew, there's a lot... In, there's a lot that's in flux here, and you know, rather than saying that you know, the, the incumbent or the next administration would rule in a necessary minority or majority, I'd say we should wait and see, and see how the bargaining, the bartering and horse trading between different parties uh, work out over the next few months or so. So in short, there's no quick answer to your question.
Okay, that's too bad because we've only got about 30 seconds left before we let you go, Brian. Um, given you've got 30 seconds, can you, uh, or now 20, um, what are your prospects? Uh, effective governance for the next five years, or is it going to be rocky, rocky roads ahead? It's crucial to tell us whether or not the governance would be effective, but what's certain for sure is that Indonesia would pivot towards, or rather would not pivot away from its foreign policy and pro-development approach, and it's likely to double down upon bringing more FDI, bringing more financial opportunities to monetize its natural resources and critical materials, and ultimately in pursuit of hopefully a more prosperity for the burgeoning middle class. And that's at the very least my hope for the country, and I, I'm cautiously optimistic that it can be realized, provided that all parties do the due share. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, Brian Wong, uh, you've given us some things. There are implications from what you have told us that we can pick up after the break for the news at 930. So we're going to thank Brian Wong, an assistant professor of political philosophy, for joining us today from the University of Hong Kong. Uh, continuing after the break, we're going to have Eugene Tan, who's a political an analyst and associate professor of law at the Yongpeng Hao School of Law at the Singapore Management University. Uh, before we get to the news, we'll give you a quick hit on the weather. Mainly fine, visibility relatively low in some areas. It doesn't feel like winter anymore. Max temperature of around 27 degrees today with light winds. Right now, your temperature is 22 degrees Celsius and it's 77% humidity at RTHK Radio 3. This is Back Chat. And now the news with Martin Holmes. Police in Kansas City in the United States say 22 people have been shot at the end of a victory parade for the Super Bowl champions. At least one of the victims is dead, while seven have life-threatening injuries. The police chief says three suspects were in custody and firearms had been recovered. But she said the motive wasn't yet clear. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has insisted Israel will press ahead with a ground offensive against Hamas in Rafah in southern Gaza, despite a growing international outcry. He said powerful action was needed in Rafah. And it's looking increasingly as though Indo Indonesia's defence minister and former military chief Prabowo Subianto has won Wednesday's presidential election outright with no need for a runoff ballot. The full result across the vast archipelago won't be known until next month. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Your grades don't define you. Everyone can carve out a niche for themselves. Have you thought about the Diploma of Applied Education program? The program incorporates vocational education and training and prepares students for employment and further studies. The qualification is comparable to a level two standard in five subjects in the HKDSE, including Chinese and English. The enrollment has started. Visit dae.edu.hk for details and applications. It's the owner's responsibility to keep windows safe. Always leave window inspection and maintenance to qualified persons. Use the Buildings Department's mobile app, WinSafe, to look for qualified persons and compare prices. The window inspection process is easy. Even without receiving a statutory notice, we can always take the initiative to have a qualified person inspect windows regularly. Visit the Buildings Department website, bd.gov.hk, for details. We're back on Back Chat. I'm Andrew Work, and uh, we're here today talking about the results of the Indonesian election as they roll in the world's third largest uh, democracy by population. Uh, so very exciting indeed. Uh, we've got a couple of great guests, but we just want to remind everybody that you can call in 233-88266, uh, 233-88266. Uh, you can also WhatsApp us at 6899-8518. Lots of lucky numbers there. 
One more time, 6899-8518. And later on the show, we're going to be talking about the Chubby Hearts display that has been taking the city by storm. We're going to have the curator of the show, Sam Lamb, and uh, global fashionista legend, Anya Heinmarsh. So if you're a fan, be ready to call or write in or get your questions in. Uh, to this globally renowned fashion uh, designer. Uh, but we're, right now, we're still talking about the elections with Eugene Tan, political analyst and associate professor of law at the Yong Pong Hao School of Law from the Singapore Management University. And now we also welcome to the show uh, Sring Atin, who is the spokesperson for the Asian Migrants Coordinating Body. Uh, good morning, Sring. Uh, good morning. Sring, one of your, one of your counterparts in the world of uh, looking out for uh, your your colleagues is uh, Rati, the chairperson of the Union of United Domestic Workers. I have an email. Uh, Rati says, my hope is that the president-elect will commit to improving governance, supervision, and protection of Indonesian migrant workers. Besides that, strengthening vocational training programs to improve the quality and competence of PMI. Uh, so the so the workers sent to the placement country must be trained so that Indonesia's bargaining power becomes stronger at the international level. Also, it is not just about understanding the context of the problems faced by domestic helpers, but they must also have solutions and systemized case handling. Uh, Sring, you're, new, you're welcoming you to the show, so we'll let you kick off. What do you think? Will the new president and his administration deliver on supporting migrant workers? Yeah, we are not yet know how the you know the president will support the migrant domestic worker because we not really know about their program for migrant workers and their family. But we hope that you know the our uh, the elected uh, president uh, of Indonesia will uh, help us how to uh, solve the problem of poverty, you know, unemployment in Indonesia because uh, now uh, you know like many of migrants like uh, continue to leave their family just to survive. We hope that the new presidents will, you know, how to make sure that there is a, a job in our country, because we know that the uh, President Joko Widodo cannot create a job in many in our home country. That's why many people still leave their country. And and of course, you know, like uh, we know that there is some of emergency you know, uh, issue that the the government need to answer us. And right now, like the, the problem of agency fee, the problem of, you know, uh, uh, others' uh, working condition in offices faced by domestic workers in everywhere. Um, String, um, uh, what is yes. lacking in Indonesia? Uh, uh, is it training? Is it insufficient training? Uh, or is it just lack of available jobs um, in such a way that, um, you know, there are many migrant workers uh, yeah. from Indonesia? I think the first problem is really of lack of a uh, job in Indonesia. That's why people doesn't have any choice how to choose, you know, to find a job. And in the same, uh, and also in the same time, the government is not really take take full responsibility how to ensure the protection of their people, but they just rely to the uh, private agency like recruitment agency to to you know to sending to train the migrant domestic workers. So the problem is, uh, yeah, is uh, un unemployment and also uh, rely to recruitment agency to process all, uh, on the migration system. What, what is the attitude? Is it that, listen, you leave the country, you're on your own. I mean, you've made that choice. You're not in Indonesia. My job is to take care of the people in Indonesia. Or is it more, I mean, 
domestic workers are, are sending huge amounts of remittances back to the country. They're sending money back. Uh, is, is there a sense like, oh, we re- this is like an important part of our economy. We need to take care of these people. Wh- which side yeah, do I you think, think this government falls on? It's like you're on your own or your voters and money. I think the 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 big uh, you know the big faults of the government is really cannot create a job in Indonesia. That's really the big problem. Even there is so many you know uh, so many investment come to Indonesia, but this is not mean that there is, will be a decent job provide in Indonesia, especially for the women wo- women workers in the village, because we know that many of migrant workers are women and they are work as domestic worker. Okay, uh, Eugene Tan. What do you think of specifically the prospects of the ability of the economy to generate more jobs so maybe more people stay at home? I mean, you've, you've got domestic helpers, but I think Filipinos and Indonesians combined make up 80 plus percent of the world shipping employees yeah. are away from their families for months and months and months. Uh, I mean, Eugene, what are the prospects for creating more valuable jobs at home that match people's education levels or productivity such that you know maybe they don't have to leave the country? Yes, I, I think that's certainly something that, you know, uh, Indonesian leaders, uh, you know, and, and, and not just, you know, the president, uh, but also, you know, the, the, the legislature, you know, will have to put their, their minds on, you know, how do we grow the economy in a meaningful way that can absorb, um, you know, the, the, the population, the number of young people coming out. But, but, and not only that, you know, how do we create good jobs? Um, you know, so that, you know, it's not just about the number of jobs, but, but good quality jobs that will enable people to, to lead uh, comfortable lives, you know, such that they don't have to uh, go abroad, um, you know, to, to, to work. Uh, I think, you know, that's a, that, that really is a fundamental uh, challenge. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, with, with, President, uh, with Mr. Prabowo, you know, indicating that, uh, you know, he will take a more nationalistic approach, you know, to the economy. I, I think, you know, it does suggest that he recognizes, you know, the, the, the challenge at hand. Uh, and given that, you know, he, he could well seek a second term, um, you know, that much will depend on him, um, you know, and his team being able to deliver, you know, the economic growth. You know, I, I think he now rides on a groundswell of popularity. Uh, but now, you know, I think it's where the hard work begins. You know, how do we grow the economy? And, and, it, and it's not a situation where, you know, Indonesia lacks resources. Uh, you know, so if you think about, uh, you know, the, the, the commodities that it has, um, I think, you know, that there is no shortage of opportunity. The question is really, you know, how do you tap it? And, and how do you ensure, you know, that even as these, these commodities are exported, um, you know, that, that Indonesia gets good value for it, and 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 also you know the 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 continual need to attract foreign uh, investments, as String mentioned. Um, uh, Eugene Tan, it's um, it's uh, actually quite um, intriguing to note that um, well, in the last decade, uh, Indonesia has seen a really good um, uh, economic growth of five percent annually, and uh, however, these. Uh, uh, this sort of growth does not translate into jobs. Um, am I correct to say that? Yes, I, I think, you know, in that sense, you're right in that, you know, that there's been this, um, you know, the benefits of economic growth, you know, has perhaps not been as equitable 
uh, as it could be. Um, you know, so you, you may have a situation where, you know, people in the urban cities, are, in, in the urban areas are, are deriving the most benefit, but then, uh, you know, the rural areas are still, um, in, in many respects, you know, struggling to, to secure, you know, the benefits of, uh, you know, the, 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 the economic growth that a country experiences uh, as a whole. So, so it is really that challenge, right? You know, it's not just about economic growth, you know, but how do you share, uh, you know, the benefits of economic growth? How do you ensure that even, you know, in, given that this is, uh, you know, a large archipelagic uh, nation, you know, how, how do you ensure that, uh, you know, the peripheries will also enjoy, um, you know, that uh, uh, largesse, you know, from the economic growth? You know, so it's something that the leaders will have to put their minds on. And, and, and certainly, if you want to talk about a more assertive, muscular, foreign policy, you know, there will be the need, uh, you know, to deal with this sort of domestic issues, um, you know, th that will then enable Indonesia to project its voice, um, you know, in, in a more prominent way. Um, Srin, Srin, you know, I'm thinking about uh, domestic voters as a voter block. Whenever there are Filipino elections happening, I mean, we see the campaign activity in Hong Kong. Even, even if you're not Filipino, you can't avoid it. Uh, I don't feel like I've seen as much from the Indonesian election leading up to this. What, I mean, are domestic helpers a significant voting block that needs to be courted? And, you know, and then is it easy for them to vote when they're overseas? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, uh, last uh, 2000, uh, I have experience on the election 2014 and 2019 in Hong Kong. And there is many of the Indonesian citizens in overseas, including migrant workers, they can join the food, you know, because the government, Indonesian government also makes sure that every employer, they also understand that on that day, you know, there is an election for Indonesian citizens. And we, if I compare the number between 2019 and to 2024, you know, uh, there is a big gap, you know. We can see that this year, not many migrants can join the election because there is several uh, problems. It's not only just, uh, you know, because of the public holiday in Hong Kong, but there is, uh, uh, you know, some problem that created by the, the uh, you know, the, uh, the theme of the election of Indonesia. So that's why many of Indonesians in Hong Kong uh, this year cannot join the election. Really? So they've kind of been shut out? Yeah, so that's why that many of the Indonesian, you know, my, especially my workers, they feel disappointed because, you know, they are really asking the employer permission to to join the election. But on the day, uh, they cannot afford because they, they don't have a paper of, uh, you know, for, to vote because the regulation is, uh, the regulation of the election this year is changed because of the, uh, you know, situation in Hong Kong. And we understand that. But the problem is, the you know the the theme of the election in Indonesia they are not really informed well to a migrants community and also especially for migrants in overseas not only just in Hong Kong but everywhere many of them can uh, didn't get uh, you know full information about election and also many of them <clears throat> didn't receive any letters to vote so that's why uh, you know they try to 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 join the election on the day on 13 of February in Hong Kong but. There is some regulation that they cannot join on that day.
because I of see. the limited so, number. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so so uh, there, there's some time uh, until the next election. How could this, um, you know, um, voting arrangements be improved uh, for the migrant workers uh, everywhere in the world? Uh, do, do you think postal ballots work? I think post is also not valid because the main problem in, in overseas is, is the data. Uh, you know, the Indonesian government, they cannot provide uh, valid data uh, where the migrant workers stay because we also received that many of the domestic workers, they didn't receive the letter because uh, the letter sent sent to the wrong address because, uh, you know, the government just provide the old data. That's the, the first problem. Second problem is migrant workers only have rest one uh, only Sunday. So it's not enough to join election only one time on one day and only 10 hours. So we also how we make sure that everyone can participate in the election. So the Indonesian government must have the you know, special arrangement for uh, overseas to ensure that they can join the election. Hmm. Well, Seringa Tin, <clears throat> spokesperson for the Asian Migrants Coordinating Body, I guess you've got five years to uh, work on the government to help them to improve voting for overseas workers. So thank you for joining us on the show today. We'd also like to thank Eugene Tan, political analyst and associate professor of law at the Yong Pung Hao School of Law at Singapore Management University for joining us today on Backchat. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. All right, we're continuing here on Backchat, uh, and we're talking about <clears throat> a new art installation in Hong Kong, Chubby Hearts. Uh, I have to admit, being a bit of a Philistine, I originally thought it might be a dating site for plus-size people, but no, it is a art installation that is taking the city by storm. It has been uh, curated. Uh, the curator and project director of Chubby Hearts Hong Kong is Sam Lam. Sam, thank you for joining the show. Hello. Good morning. And that voice you hear is, and we also have on today, Anya Heinmarsh, who is the designer of Chubby Hearts, entrepreneur who started her uh, fashion handbag business at 18 years old. And I think a lot of people remember the I'm not a plastic bag from 2007. She was the brainchild behind that. Uh, and Greenpeace Ambassador. So, Anya Heinmarsh, great to have you on the show today. Good morning, good morning. So excited to have you. <clears throat> so we've brought Chubby Hearts to Hong Kong just in time for Valentine's Day. Uh, what is this all about? What are we trying to express? What are we trying to make the people of Hong Kong feel? It's just really a lovely celebration with a very simple aim of spreading the love and making people smile. It's really innocent. We did it in London uh, back in 2018, and it had an, just an amazing reaction. Uh, and it seems as though we're having a similar reaction here in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And um, how long would this be here for, the Chubby Hearts? Uh, it's actually for 10 days. <clears throat> so it runs between uh, Valentine's Day yesterday and the Chinese Lantern Festival uh, on the 24th. So it's a 10-day exhibition. Sam Lam, you <clears throat> have the responsibility for making this happen in Hong Kong. Did you, did you fly to London to try and figure out if, if something different needed to happen? Are Hong Kong hearts different? Uh, you know, or or did you, were you just trying to faithfully recreate Anya's vision as best you could? Yeah, actually, we are very grateful to cooperate with um, Anya to bring this um, design work to Hong Kong. 
When we first scaled that in um, 2018, we really liked this work. But uh, we are not only bringing, you know, um, the exactly the same um, um, artwork, you know, format to Hong Kong. Actually, we will also like to, you know, innovate a bit, and then uh, we expand the scope and the scale of the project. So we are having, you know, like 11 days um, um, exhibition period from um, 14 to 24. It's actually covering the Valentine's Day until the Lantern Festival, which is the Chinese New Year. Because we really would like to, you know, um, leverage on this, you know, lovely, um, um, amazing artwork to reinforce the, you know, um, um, East Miss West culture that Hong Kong positioning ourselves is. And we always see this project as a kind of like a um, creative tourism project too. That's why we activate a lot of, you know, different um, land developers in Hong Kong. Then they sponsor us um, their gigantic, you know, LED screen around Hong Kong, indoor, outdoor. So we have collaborated with lots of uh, creator in Hong Kong. So we produce different type of um, digital artwork, you know, I'm surrounding uh, on the same thing um, under, you know, um, um, our Enya agreement. And uh, we really, you know, put, you know, this, you know, a choppy hut around Hong Kong. And then uh, we would like to, you know, bring our, you know, visitor and also, you know, Hong Kong people to really visit our place, different, you know, location. Uh, I think the building is, of course, the choppy hut is very beautiful and, and very, you know, um, um, amazing when you see it and then you will have a smile but also the the scenery of hong kong itself is very beautiful so um all together we hope that you know uh, we can create a lot of you know different you know uh, imagery that will lead to the world that they, they right. understand what, what hong kong is so um what what was the uh, sort of feedback and impression that uh, you have received so far in particular yesterday uh, which was a very special day valentine's day Anya, would you like to answer first? Of course. Well, it was just actually really heartwarming, frankly. Um, there were just so many people, I mean, late into the night, um, just queuing and enjoying the, the art piece and taking photographs um, and sharing it. And you could sort of see on, on social media sort of massive sort of outpouring of, of sharing of these, these lovely images. But it was actually just really happy-making. Um, I mean, as you say, the skyline here is incredible. It was blue skies. It was a beautiful day. It's another beautiful day today. Uh, I'm here at the Maritime Museum today where we're, we're flying a another chubby heart and it's just people are sort of spotting them all over the city and engaging with the city and and, um, and the beautiful weather that you have here yeah yeah. And how, yeah how do you feel about how Anya how do you feel about how your vision has been interpreted in Hong Kong I mean you're no stranger to Hong Kong you've got a big fan base here um, you know you've got two of your stores here in Hong Kong but I mean how did you feel about the way it has been reproduced has been translated and brought into the Hong Kong context well, it's been really faithful to the original idea, which is lovely. And, um, and I think that uh, we, we've got slightly bigger heart just because the, the, the skyline here is so enormous and the buildings are so enormous that we've actually enlarged it. Um, we've also bought some of the original um, balloons from, from London, um, which is lovely. So it sort of continues to, sort of to roll on um, and, um, and it's been very faithfully interpreted. Why Chubby? Why, why the name Chubby Hearts? Why not Fat Hearts, Big Hearts? I mean, there's a lot of things you could have gone with. What, why the title? It was actually inspired originally by a traction reader, which was quilted, and it's just quite a cute little um, idea. It's a sort of fun word, I think. So um, it's just sort of stuck. Right, and um, uh, Sam uh, Sam Lam, the um, you know, since the uh, response is overwhelming, is there a possibility of extending this uh, artwork? Um, um, our plan will be, you know, uh, keep staging this uh, from 14 to you know 24th of February. It's actually um, the date is. But, uh, it has its own meaning to us. 
because we really want to, you know, talk about the East West cultures. That's why we set the day on, you know, 14 to uh, 24th on and on the Lantern, you know, festival. Right. So big hearts. Yeah. Ada? Yes. And, um, and, uh, from the Hong Kong Design Center point of view, um, you are you are the organizer of, of this event, um, and you have been promoting design uh, in Hong Kong. What? How? How do you think uh, we could make the design community more excited, and um, perhaps uh, there could be collaborations uh, with uh, Anya in the future? Yes, um, definitely. We look forward to uh, collaborate uh, with Anya again. And then for us, for the Science Center, we believe the, the power of the sign, the value of the sign. Um, um, the sign, of course, has its own, you know, um, 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 area on, you know, aesthetics, but it's also about functionality. So when we bring project like this to Hong Kong, we are thinking a lot of, you know, um, other side that how we can, you know, leverage on this uh, amazing art installation to, you know, help Hong Kong on some other area, especially like tourism. That's why we love the idea to have the pop-up hut that we can, uh, we can actually, you know, bring traffic to different locations and then uh, we have a lot of, you know, imageries on the World Wide Web that we can leave to, you know, um, um, the world that they, they know Hong Kong is. Uh, it's not only about, you know, skyscraper, but we have a lot of, you know, natural scenery. So our, you know, um, uh, when we curate the whole, you know, um, our, our location list, we look into um, picking different, you know, locations that can represent Hong Kong in different, you know, way to the world. And I, then, I guess not. Um, uh, yeah, I guess not everybody knows about the uh, the locations that this Chubby Heart will go to. Could you name a few that that would be more off the beaten track? Um, we have a location in Tai O, so um, of course uh, people know that our, um, Hong Kong uh, was a fishing village, so I think it is very representative. We also have the uh, location of Temple Street, it's one of the you know, uh, very you know, popular um, tourist um, place in Hong Kong. We also have our <clears throat> pop-up hut in um, um, Simshakchari Cock Tower, it represents part of the you know, um, uh, history of Hong Kong. And then um, other locations, including PMQ. Today we are at a Maritime Museum. Do come to visit us. And then uh, we also have um, other locations like in Samshuipo that really show the local neighborhood of Hong Kong. So it's, they are all different. And we also want uh, to have one at the um, uh, uh, Long Peng, Ong Peng um, uh, 360. Is there is there a uh, Pokemon flavor to this? You got to catch them all. Are there are there people who are going from site to site so they can, you know, see the installation and all the different environments? I can tell you in London so. that happened. It really did. It was really lovely, actually. People were, and you can see them from miles away. And because of your amazing high buildings, mm. you can really spot them. And so people definitely go, oh, "There's one," and they sort of race over and get the picture. So there's definitely sort of collect the set. Um, the mentality, but they're just, they're just really happy making. I'm sitting here today looking on, bobbing away in the sky right next to the Star Ferry, and it's, it's really magical. And are they following you? Like, I mean, are you, if you're, are you going to see each of these locations? Are people like, oh, hi, nice, I saw you yesterday. Oh, and the day before. Oh, and the day before that. So, so, yes, they'll probably be bored of me, uh, but it's really, it's really fun following the heart. Well, um, and yeah. and I, I, I'm curious to know, how, how does this collaboration happen? Um, uh, what, you know, who... Who started this conversation with you, Anya? Well, the Hong Kong Design Centre reached out to me, um, I mean, really a long time ago now. And in fact, we were even talking about the project pre-COVID. Um, and then um, about a year ago, we probably started working in earnest on the project. And it's a complicated project. And Sam and her team have been absolutely amazing because it's, 
really complex in terms of locations and permissions and permissions in terms of civil aviation authority um, and logistics and safety. So they're, they're huge things to organise. And, and real thanks to the Hong Kong Design Centre for being so careful and, and brilliant um, and have amazing technicians here and, and so on. So it's, it's a, been a long time in planning, but it's, it's a really lovely to see it and finally come to fruition. Right. And were, were you consulted, you know, on all the different locations and um, what, what were your thoughts on Absolutely. picking them? We've done this very much hand in hand and, and, um, and the Hong Kong Center have been incredibly respectful on, on, on my views of, of how the, the project was conceived and the reasons and really staying true to that. Um, and we wanted to really reflect the sort of the amazing diversity that there is here in Hong Kong um, of landscapes and, and culture and people and, and really embrace the city. And obviously, we couldn't have every single location. We had so many at the beginning, but just because of logistics, it's hard for safety reasons. But we, we feel we have a really lovely um, a sort of a selection of locations that are really special. So, I mean, uh, Anya, Renaissance woman, polymath, you're a fashionist, you know, fashion designer, best-selling author, now installation artist. Uh, do you have a big reveal you want to drop on Backchat for our global audience online? <laughs> you know, what's what's next for Anya Heinmart? I think I just need to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Sam and I need a glass of wine, actually, at some point. It's yeah. been quite hectic. So, All right. And that, that always helps dream up the next project. We'll have, to, we'll have to watch you, whether it's film, sculpture, you know, we don't, we don't know what direction you might go and it could be anything and and sam sam what about you i mean we don't we don't want to make anya jealous but what's your next big project what's what's next in line what vision do you have for something to bring to hong kong or or maybe you're going to play on a bigger uh, on a bigger canvas tell us well actually we um we will be bringing another you know um installation art um this year and so uh, watch out to it we will announce more details um, Sam, it's um, actually uh, interesting to me that the Hong Kong Design Centre is now also <coughs> sponsoring and curating events such as this one, uh, because mm-hmm. it just used to um, do talks uh, at the uh, Business of Design Week and um, sort of more serious stuff. And uh, and now um, you are pivoting. Could you say that? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, well, in the past, um, you know, like 20 years, we are, you know, sort of, you know, um, are famous for, you know, curating our business of design with, um, is kind of like an international conference. Um, but I think, um, from since the time that when I was on board that, uh, we are shifting a bit, um, on, you know, um, public domain. So basically my work focused on, um, I have been, you know, organizing a lot of different, you know, big and small, um, events. It's very similar uh, in nature in the in the past five years, especially um, during the COVID time. That we have, as we always mentioned, design has its own functionality. So we believe that um, design, you know, um, can make the you know city better. So that uh, I have a particular interest on uh, public space. So I do a lot of projects on public space related. It's not only about you know bringing art installation, but also like research <coughs> and then working with government as consultant on you know how we use um, design thinking to you know improve the public service. But for projects like this, we see it. Uh, we actually see it as a placemaking project. That how we can actually use different activation to connect people and. Um, uh, space yeah. to turn the space to place. That means people are, uh, will love it and then they want to, to stay there and then they connect to each other. Fantastic. And connections are what it's all about. Thank you for joining us, Sam Lam, curator and project director of Chubby Hearts Hong Kong. Right of time. And Anya Heinmarts, the designer of Chubby Hearts Global Icon. Thank you for joining us, Ada Wong. Thank you, Raphael Blett and audio engineer Tsung Wing Ming. And what a great show. And that's been your back chat. Thank you.